We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, here we go. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday and also occasional Saturday daily driver. For Buffalo Sports Talk and more, I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking in, whether you're checking us out on the audio side, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts from, or whether you're giving us a look on YouTube via video. Appreciate you all very much. Uh, This is actually when most of you are listening to this anyway. I'm recording this on Friday. The video will go up probably late Friday night, but for the majority of you, This is going to be Saturday. Thank you for tuning in. Didn't have an episode this past Thursday. I wasn't able to to hook up with the person. I was supposed to to be able to record it. So didn't have an episode on Thursday. So I'm kind of making up for it with an episode on Saturday. And the reason why I'm doing that is because the Buffalo Bills have an enormous, and I mean enormous, football game tomorrow against the New York Jets. and. This season's on the brink. This episode, or not this episode, all the episodes over this past week have still been kind of reacting, to be honest with you, mostly in disbelief about the Bills just imploding against Denver, losing a game that, quite frankly, I just didn't even spend two seconds thinking about that as a realistic possibility. So anyway, we've been reacting to that all week long. And uh, I wanted to spend a few minutes anyway today. This won't be a long episode. It's the weekend. The last thing I want to try to do is take up a big chunk of your Saturday uh, listening to this podcast. I will say I did have not necessarily bills related as much, but I I had an episode yesterday, a live from Imperial with uh, Chad Dedeminisis from Expected Buffalo. If you didn't give that one a watch or a listen, Go back to yesterday when you're done watching or listening to this. Make sure you do that. That was a fun chat. Man, I love those. Uh, I love, love, love doing those live episodes at Imperial Pizza or wherever we do them from. I mean, lately it's been all Imperial, but I've been to a lot of bars and, and restaurants doing these shows in the past. 
it's just a different vibe. I mean, I love sitting here in my home studio, whether it's just me solo talking directly to you, whether I have a guest, whether it's Tone Puck sitting next to me, whether it's uh, Joe Yurden or Aaron Quinn or Anthony Marino or any of these guys or women that I have via StreamYard. That's fun to do, but it's always a different vibe when you're sitting down next to somebody live, in person, ambient sounds going on in the back, all kinds of stuff going on, people watching you. It just makes for a, a fun conversation, and, and Chad really brought it, man. Really good, solid. We talked some bills, but primarily uh, Sabres talk, some really interesting points that he brought up, including some stuff on Pat Kane that, assuming Pat Kane doesn't sign with the Sabres or somewhere, by the time you're watching this, I highly, highly, highly recommend going back and listening to what Chad had to say in regards to Pat Kane and how he might fit as a uh, as a Buffalo Sabre. And I'll tell you, one of the things I try to do real, really, really hard, and I hope, you know, for all you who are watching this, you kind of have the same attitude. I go into conversations and I attempt to be open-minded about changing my mind. You know, so many people now, and I'm not even just talking whether it's bills or, or sports, I'm just talking everyday life. When you have a conversation with somebody, politics, music, doesn't matter. It could be anything, literally. You, you have your, you draw a line in the sand. Like, this is what I believe. This is my thought. This is my opinion. This is my take. And you just, you don't want to hear anybody else. I mean, you'll listen to them, but you're not really hearing them. And you just, you're not going to move from whatever it is that you think previously. I'll tell you, and I say this for a reason. I went into that conversation thinking that I really, really, really wanted the Sabres to sign Pat Kane for a couple of reasons. I left that conversation thinking, you know what? Maybe it might be best for the Buffalo Sabres if they don't land Pat Kane. And my whole point is this, just... When you have a conversation with somebody, just be open and try to see things or hear things from their side, and it might just influence the way that you uh, you feel about something. Just don't be so stubborn and and bullish that you're not willing to move off uh, your opinion. Because sometimes, if you're objective and you're open and you're honest with yourself, you you might be moved off an opinion. Anyway, really good show with Chad. And I mentioned Imperial before we get going here. I want to let you know, if you didn't watch the show yesterday, Imperial Pizza, who's been a major sponsor and friend to this podcast. I've been doing shows there for almost a year now on a semi-regular basis. Want to let you know that they now have a second location, brand new location on Main Street, 1665 Main Street. They literally just opened this week. Um, they're open at 10 o'clock every day. So if you live in that area, that's maybe just minutes away at most from like Canisius College. So I know those college kids out there, man, you're all in for a treat because Imperial Pizza is the bomb. It's one of the best restaurants, quite frankly, in all of Western New York. So they got a second location open. I haven't been there yet. Very much looking forward to going there. In fact, I'm going to do a couple of live shows at that location as well in the very near future. So just wanted to put that out there for everybody. All right. Again, I said this, I don't want this to be a long episode, so I don't want to ramble much more here at the top. The Buffalo Bills find themselves in a situation tomorrow that they cannot, and I mean literally, they cannot lose this football game. They're at a point right now, five and five, where if you go back to August, 
I can promise you most of us, you, I, did not think for maybe even though the realistic worst case scenario for the Bills back in August, never would have thought that in a week 11 home matchup against the New York Jets that were the Bills to drop that game, that the season for all intents and purposes would be over days before we even dig in and have Thanksgiving dinner. I never thought that was even a realistic possibility. Yeah, here we are. The Bills, after blowing, and I mean blowing a game on Monday that they had no business losing at home in prime time to the Denver Broncos, find themselves in a position with seven games left to go where they pretty much have zero margin for error. Zero. And there's only probably... Two games left on this schedule as things stand right now where the Bills will even be favored to win a game. Week 17 at home against New England and on Sunday. The Bills are a touchdown favorite. I believe they're a seven-point favorite for this game tomorrow, this weekend against uh, the Jets. I'll be honest with you, man. I'm not feeling... I know the urgency's there and maybe that sense of urgency might trigger the Bills to start playing their best football. I also thought that going in the last week's game against Denver, too. But I got to be honest with you. This is not a matchup I like. I don't like this matchup for the Bills at all. There are just certain teams, and we've seen it over the last couple of years, that play the Bills really good. And by that, I mean, worst case, they play them tough. Best case, at least for them, they dominate Buffalo. Cincinnati. I don't want nothing to do with the Bengals. I don't care who the quarterback is either. I feel like the Bengals step on the football field nine and three quarters out of 10 times. I feel like they're the better football team than Buffalo. It's just the way the matchup works. When it comes to the Jets, kind of feel the same way. You know, conversely, Miami's a really good football team, or at least they beat the shit out of bad football teams anyway. But I feel good when the Bills play Miami because the Bills play Miami well. Josh Allen lights the Miami defense up. Kansas City. Same deal. Kansas City might be the best team in the NFL. In my opinion, they're certainly the best team in the AFC. But unless the wheels come off and the Bills lose this game against the Jets and they got nothing to play for when they get to Kansas City, I might feel good. In fact, I might feel better about the Bills going on the road against Kansas City than I do some of these other games that they got on the schedule because the Bills play them well, including on the road. It's a good matchup for Buffalo. The Jets simply, they're not. It's not that this is a great team because the Jets are not a great team by any means. Well, by defense, it means they're a great team. But overall, not a great team. I just don't like this matchup uh, for the Bills in recent years. Kind of show why. I went and I looked at some numbers. The Bills have only scored more than 27 points once in their last 10 games against the New York Jets. And I'm not even just talking about this year where the offense has kind of been wishy-washy you know, if not a mess. Even when the offense has been humming the last couple of years, they have not had a lot of offensive success against the Jets. It's 27 points, more than 27 points once in their last 10. Now, conversely, the Jets offense has only scored 27 or more points or more than 27 points against the Bills once in the last 10 games. So if you're looking for a, a gambling edge here, I have no idea what the over-under is, but you might want to bet the under. Because these teams just do not score a lot of points on each other. Uh, the Bills 
during the Josh Allen era are seven and four. But as we all know, including the home opener this year, uh, the Jets have beaten Josh Allen two of their last uh, three outings. To me, the Jets are just, they're, they're like this, they're an enigma. I, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. They're an enigma. Um, they're four and five, so they have a losing record. They're almost certainly not going to make the playoffs. Uh, they got a very weak quarterback in Zach Wilson. And by very weak quarterback, I mean, essentially, he, he sucks. He's terrible. Um, they've lost to the Patriots. Well, so did the Bills, but they've lost to the Patriots. They've lost to, they've lost to Vegas. But, but this is the football team that beat the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a football team that beat the Buffalo Bills. This is a football team that played on Sunday night football at home against Kansas City. And they should have won that game. Some might say they got robbed because of some bad calls, a couple bad calls. They should have won the game. So the, the Jets are capable of playing with, if not beating anybody. I mean, I just named the Eagles, the Bills, the Chiefs. Those are three teams that most of us consider three of the best teams in the entire NFL. And the Jets have hey, beating them or played right with them. Um, this is, as Bills fans know, because the games are not fun to watch usually when these teams play each other, the Jets have an elite defense. And we use that word. I'm, I'm uh, guilty of this. I use that word elite way too often. Like everything to me is elite. This is elite this. This is elite that. And, and it's kind of like, all right, I'm exaggerating. But the New York Jets are elite defensively. Like this might be the best defense in the NFL, both on paper and statistically. This is just a, a great defense. And the Jets have a very, and I mean very good and explosive running back in Brees Hall. They also have Dalvin Cook, who I think is a little bit more on the washed side, but Brees Hall, it certainly is not. Um, the Jets had a lot of success in the home opener against the Bills, running the football, ran for a buck 72, uh, 83 yards of that was by Brees Hall, uh, one carry. So you just you look at this team and you're saying, well, what Jets team are you going to get? The team that can't score? That's fun to play because you're not worried about them putting up 28 or 30 points. But they're probably not going to give up 28 to 30 points either. They play great defense and they play team stuff. They've blown a couple games too. And I know Bills fans can certainly relate to, uh, to blowing games so far out this season for sure. So anyway, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a real quick break. Come back. I got three players specifically after watching the game film, because by the way, on Wednesdays, typically I have an episode that's dedicated to uh, the all 22 film study and PFF grades analysis. Didn't bother doing one this week because the bills didn't play until Monday night. And quite frankly, I was really pissed off. And all I wanted to do this week is, is fucking rail on uh, Sean McDermott and a couple of other aspects of uh, the bill scene. But anyway, I did watch the film and, uh, there's three guys that I, I want to briefly mention that I think are big bright spots, not just so much for this Denver game, but just in totality uh, with the Bills. So I'm going to hit on that. I got three keys, in my opinion, and I'm not going to overthink this one either, but three keys to the Buffalo Bills winning on Sunday against the Jets. Again, they, they got to win this game. Uh, I got a prediction for you, and then I got a handful, a small handful of, of uh, questions or comments 
from fans of the show that that I picked off and they sent in. And I want to read those and uh, go over those with you as well. So I'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I'm back. Buffalo Bills, New York Jets, a big, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but a pivotal game for the Bills on Sunday. I said before the break, I had three guys after watching the film on Monday and just watching film for the season, three guys that I wanted to mention specifically, not the three biggest names maybe on this team, but three guys that I'm really enjoying watching them play. One of them is Terrell Bernard. Uh, And I feel like I've said this a couple of times, especially early in the year. This dude is a good football player. Um, The stats show it and the film shows it. Statistically, he's up to 93 tackles on the season, three sacks, two interceptions, which I can't believe 10 games in is actually still tied for the team lead. And he's got three fumble recoveries on the season, which is first on the team. This guy's playing really well. He just seems to have a nose for the football. He shoots gaps really well on the run. He's still small. I mean, he's small, and that's not going to change. And there's occasions where he might hit the wrong gap or somebody, a guard, just gets their hands on him and mauls him a little bit. But I'm going to tell you, this kid is way, way better than I ever thought he would be. I, I feel like the Bills, the middle linebacker position went from week one, like, I cannot believe that Tremaine Evans left and the best this football team could do is have fucking Terrell Bernard as their starting middle linebacker. That was my mindset at week one. Now we're here at week 11, and my mindset is straight up, money aside, I think Terrell Bernard is a better linebacker for the Bills this year than Tremaine Edmonds was when he was here. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy. Tremaine did things that stats don't show. Speed, um, taking away lanes and, and, and pass coverage. He did a lot of good things. I'm not here to bury Jermaine Edmonds. I'm just saying I prefer Terrell Bernard because I want a middle linebacker who has a nose for the football 
and the ability to find the football and make plays. And that's what Terrell Bernard is doing, not just against Denver, but for this entire season so far. He has just been really, really good. And this went from a position that I was extremely worried about to one of the, the least worries that I have on this football team. So he's one. Number two, and this is a guy who's only been here for two games now, Rasul Douglas. I'll tell you, he gave up a couple catches, but you watch him on film and he just seems sticky. Like he is on top of every receiver. The throws, the couple throws, a couple passes that he gave up, he's right there with the receiver. I really like this kid a lot. Not kid. He's been in the league for a while. Um, good physical player. He's got good size. I think he's a good fit for the Bills and what they're playing for the most part anyway when they play this zone type of defense. Uh, I thought maybe at the time when, when the uh, Brandon being traded before the deadline that he might be a, uh, a rental guy. But now I realize when him having a $9 million cap it next year, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds with this right now because there's still plenty of season left here. But don't be surprised if, the, if he stays with the Bills because I could totally, totally see a scenario where the Bills keep Rasul Douglas and Christian Benford, who's now a starter, who will only be going into his third year, so he'll have two more years under team control for cost. And you might you might have seen the last, and I hate to say it right now, and we'll get into the weeds later on, but you might have seen the last of Trey White. Because if you're going to pay Rasul Douglas $9 million, and you're going to keep Benford, and those are going to be you know two starting caliber corners, not sure about Trey physically. Um, his age, not that he's that old, but the injury history, and his salary, you know, you might have seen the last snap already from uh, Trey White, which again, don't want to get into that too much. But I guess my my primary point is I feel good enough about what I'm seeing from Rasul Douglas that that's a discussion that will at least be having anyway as we get into the offseason. So that's two. And then number three, not not a surprise here, but I still want to point him out. Dalton Kincaid, um, he's really come on. Second on the team in catches with 45 uh, he's got two touchdowns in his last three games. And over his last four games, 28 catches in 272 yards. He had that fumble, that costly fumble against Cincy. But just like the James Cook fumble on the first play of the Denver game, you know, sometimes it's not so much a careless play by a, a Bills player. It's just a hell of a play by somebody on the opposing defense. And that's what happened uh, to Kincaid against Cincinnati. And, and to me, that's what happened in Denver or in Buffalo against Denver. The guy just made a phenomenal play and ripped the ball right out of uh, James Cook's hand. But anyway, Dalton Kincaid, Rasul Douglas, Terrell Bernard, three guys I like a lot. All right, I said I had three keys for this game here with the Buffalo Bills against New York. And I'm not overthinking it. I'm not, I'm not being fancy here. I'm not revealing anything. You're like, oh my God, I never would have thought of that unless you said it. That's, that's not where we're going here. But to me, these are just three simple things, but they need to happen. And if they do, the Bills should be walking out of this game six and five and feeling very much alive in the AFC wild card or maybe divisional uh, playoff race. Number one, don't let the Jets run the football. You can't let them. They ran for 172 yards the first time these teams played. Um, Hall, again, he had uh, 127 yards on just 10 carries. He had an 83-yarder um, sub-key here to a game. Same principle, but not letting them run. And this has been a problem for the Bills literally all season. They got to tackle better. They have to tackle better, especially when you're going against a guy like Brees Hall. 
because I'm going to tell you right now, if there's good blocking on the first line of the Bills defense and he gets to the linebacker, he gets to that second level, whether it's a Bernard or a Dotson or a Jordan Poyer up in the box, you miss that tackle, You may, he makes you miss, he might be gone. Like I would be very concerned going into this game. Now, I'm not concerned about Zach Wilson throwing for 280 yards, you know, moving the Jets up and down the field, you know, chain by chain, first down by first down. I ain't worried about that shit. Not with Zach Wilson anyway. But I'll tell you what I am worried about. I am worried about one or two Bills missing a tackle on, on a pitch to uh, or an inside run to Brees Hall. And next thing you know, the, the he's in the end zone. He gets he, He's gone. 65-yard touchdown run. That shit scares me if I'm the Buffalo Bills because they've been lousy at tackling this year, especially the defensive line and especially the defensive tackles. Jordan Phillips, if he even plays, he's been limited with a knee injury. But him and Tim Settle, they have been terrible at tackling. Terrible this season. Lots of guys on the defense. I don't just point out two, but those have been two of the worst. Um, the Bills have to tackle well because you cannot let Brees Hall get in the open field and get big plays. He's just, he's too talented and he's a finisher. So if you give him that opportunity, he's going to finish it. I don't want to completely dismiss Dalvin Cook either, saying he's borderline washed. He still can do some good things as well. Now, I got a feeling the Jets are coming to Buffalo hellbent as they should be uh, running the football. So that is a big key for the Bills. By the way, Linval Joseph, who's played a decent amount of snaps already since um, signing as a free agent two weeks ago, I think you're going to see plenty of him. Plenty of him. Him and Ed Oliver. Like, I don't want to see no rotation where it's 50% or, you know, 55% Ed, you know, 48% Linval Joseph, 48% Settle and Phillips or, or Puna Ford if he even ends up being active. I want to see a lot of Linval Joseph clog those lanes up and, and stop the run because they have to. That's the one thing about the Jets, I think, potentially that could ruin this day offensively. Garrett Wilson's a hell of a wide receiver. First of all, he's got an elbow injury and he's questionable for the game. But again, I'm not too worried about Garrett Wilson beating the Bills. I am concerned to death about Brees Hall running the football and doing this. And that's number one. Number two, and again, a very simple concept in theory, but don't have four turnovers, man. Don't turn the ball four, don't turn the ball over four times. That's it. The first time these teams played, the Bills turned the ball over four times. And they lost by a score. They lost in overtime. Um, Jordan Whitehead, three interceptions in week one. That can't happen again. You go back to the Denver game on Monday, and the Bills still should have won the game. But there shouldn't have been no final drive or field goal or penalty or any of that shit if the Bills don't turn the ball over four times. They've done it twice this year. And just like any almost any team in NFL history, you turn the ball over four times, more times than not you're going to lose the football game. So pretty simple concept, but you also got to have balance because you don't want Josh Allen being Trent Edwards either. You know, he's got to take his shots. He's got to, don't let him be afraid to throw the ball down the field some, but you just got to be smart. You got to be smarter. Don't be careless with the football. If it's a, again, you know, maybe if it's a turnover, like we saw when Kincaid lost the ball or Cook and the Jets just make a great play. Okay, you, you'll live with that. But no self-inflicted, inexcusable turnovers. That can't happen for the Bills because that's how you let, you know, a, 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 a pretty shitty team hang around or even win the game. Which kind of goes to my last point here, the other key. 
just be mentally strong. You know, this team right now, I think, whether they want to say it publicly or not, I think this is a very fragile football team, the Buffalo Bills. They know how lousy they've been in the first half on offense. 42 points in their last six games. Literally are just averaging seven points a game in the first half over six weeks. That's almost criminal where the quarterback is the greatest Josh Allen and other weapons that they have on this team to only average seven points a game for a month and a half. But anyway, you know, you maybe you come out and you have a three and out or you're moving the ball a little bit and then Gabe Davis has a critical third down drop and you have to punt or even worst case, a turnover. You can't get to the sideline. You can't have that sulky, no oh, shit. Here we go again. You cannot have that kind of attitude in this football game. The Bills need to be mentally strong and don't let any of these early mistakes uh, drag you down. Because I'll tell you, man, it's, and they've been doing it this season, early mistakes, playing bad offensively early, and in a lot of cases, not so good on defense either. I mean, this is a defense that often, not against Denver, but this is a defense that kind of, sleepwalks through their first drive. And they're like, oh shit, we better wake up because now we're down seven, nothing, just like that. It happens and it's happened to the Bills. They've let shitty teams believe that they can win football games because they did not get out on them early and they just started out slow and weren't mentally strong. And to me, that's the difference between this Bills team and Bills teams of recent years past. You know, if the Bills did one thing good, even if they were struggling, if they played a shitty team or a shitty quarterback, they dominated that offense. Rookie quarterbacks, the Bills dominated them. Shitty to mediocre quarterbacks, the Bills defense dominated them. And that's not happening this year. So it is both sides of the football. Um, They let New England score early. Gave the Patriots hope. Thought they could win that game. And they did. You know, they let Denver get an early lead, which was a lot on the first half, not a lot, mostly on the offense. They let Denver hang around. Denver, of course, won the football game. Did it with the Jets. The Jets lose Aaron Rodgers. Zach Wilson comes in. No starter reps, I'm sure, through most of camp and preseason. They're shell-shocked. Bills had a chance to put them away early. They didn't. They let the Jets stay close. Ultimately, the Jets won the football game. Even the Giants game, the Bills won that game literally by, what, a half yard? But they didn't put the Giants away, and they let them hang around, hang around, and hang around to the point that they thought they could win the football game, and they damn near, they damn near did. So anyway, that's my three keys, man. Stop the run. You cannot let the Jets run the ball. You got to tackle better with that. Don't have needless turnovers. I'm not going to say don't have any, but don't at least don't have any needless turnovers. And just be mentally strong, especially if things are going your way early in the game. Don't let things uh, get to an exaggerated point of the game where it's late and the Jets have a, a chance to win. Because if they have a chance to win late, they very well might. As for my prediction for the game, um, you know, I said last week going into the Denver game that the Bills badly, badly, badly needed to just not beat Denver, but they needed to do it convincingly because. I felt, just like I just said, the Bills are a fragile team. And I thought a statement win, Monday Night Football primetime, maybe you start to turn the confidence factor around and maybe, you know, this team just starts to explode and pay, play up to what we perceive as their potential. 
Um, obviously didn't happen. Not only did they not win convincingly, they literally did not win at all. So this is, you know, that was near the end. This is the end. The Bills, if they have any aspirations of making the playoffs, cannot lose this football game. And that could go one or two ways. It could go, you're going to get the best version of the Buffalo Bills. You know, a new offensive coordinator, which we've talked about that a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about that more on the next show. I don't think Joe Brady, other than maybe giving the Bills offense a little sense of energy and vibes, that might make a difference. But game plan, offensive schematically, I'm not sure how much is going to change in just a couple of days of him being the offensive coordinator. But anyway, here, um, it could go really well, or they could feel that tightness around them, that pressure. It's going to get to them. And again, oh shit, here we go. And then they lose the game. So it could go one or two ways, the pressure. They can either turn into a positive or to a season-ending negative. I got the Bills winning 27-13. to 13. That's my official prediction. Um, I didn't, even when I made that prediction, I didn't realize that the Bills had only scored more than 27 once in the last 10 games. I feel pretty confident in saying, though, you see him scoring three touchdowns, a couple field goals. I think Josh Allen's going to have a good game, a vibey game. Um, hopefully we'll see the Josh Allen that we've seen over the last couple of years. Uh, the defense, again, key up on the run. Get guys in the box. Make Zach Wilson beat you. He might throw one or two good passes throughout the game. Maybe Ty Conklin, the tight end, gets up the seam or something for a big play. But I just I see a very limited Jets team. And as long as you don't give them second half life where they're up playing with a lead or tied, I don't think they have the ability to uh, to come from behind. So I got the Bills up 27-13, and that might even be with a, a late Jets score too. Look, if the Bills don't do it now, they're not going to do it. Simple as that. So Bills 27, Jets 13. Before I get out of here, I, I got a couple quick comments that I um, fans of the show left for me, and I, I kind of want to just read those off and maybe react to them real quick here. Then I'll get you out. Uh, Daryl Smith said, if the Bills' offense operates at 50% capacity, the Bills are 7-3. and three. How many stops should the defense be expected to make? The modern NFL model is to outscore the other team. All right, this was in response earlier in the week to shows where a lot, a lot of people were bashing the offense and defending the defense. And he says, if the Bills operate their offense at even 50% capacity, they're 7-3. and Daryl, you're not wrong. But here's what I will say and what bothered me a lot about Sean McDermott throughout the week. Praising the defense to no end. They played well, and they did play well for big spurts of the game, at least against Denver I'm talking about. But the bottom line is this, and we talked about on the show yesterday with Chad. If this defense could learn how to close out a game on the final drive, it'd also be 7-3. and three. If they didn't allow Denver to go 10 plays and, and kick a game-winning field goal, that's a win right there. If the Bills, after as bad as they played on offense, they took a late lead inside, what, two minutes? against the Patriots to get a field goal lead. If they hold on the Patriots, the Patriots, the shitty ass Patriots and Matt Jones, if they stop them on their final drive, there's your two wins right there. So they're also seven and three. So it goes both ways. This is a team and an organizational problem. Why they're not seven and three. It's not just the offense. The defense needed to pick up the offense at the end of a football game twice when the offense who played shitty gave them a lead and they failed to do that twice. So that's also why, they're five and five and not seven and three. Uh, Josh Allen is the next John Elway said, why the heck do you think there's no chance McDermott gets fired? I mean, good Lord. All right, going back to what I talked about 
on shows earlier this week. I'm good with Sean McDermott getting fired. I promise you that. I am very much down on Sean McDermott. I feel like he's taking the bills as far as they're going to go. I think Sean McDermott is a culture guy and a builder. If you're a team like the Bears, the Cardinals, Washington Commander, something like that, and you're pretty much going to be starting over Carolina maybe if they get rid of Frank Reich and you got a couple pieces, but you're starting over and you want to tear down and you want to you want to rebuild the character, the um, the veterans in your locker room, Sean McDermott is that coach. I don't think he's a good enough in-game manager to get the Bills over the hump because I think he freezes in critical moments of games, and it's happened too many times for it to be just a coincidence. But why the heck do you think there's no chance McDermott gets fired, he says? Because over the last four years, Sean McDermott has won 10, 13, 10, and 13 games. They've been in the playoffs all four years. Five of his six years, the Bills have been in the playoffs. I don't, and, and Terry Bagula gave him an extension just this past offseason. So I could easily say Terry or see Terry Bagula saying, you know what? It's a bad year, but this guy's won a lot of football games. We've been a playoff team now four straight years. We're going to give him another year, see if things can get turned around. I just don't see Sean McDermott getting fired. The only way I see Sean McDermott getting fired is if Josh Allen himself went up to Terry Bagula and said, listen, I need this guy out. I'm never going to be able to win with him. He's the one guy in this organization. It's not Brandon Bean. It's not Brandon Bean. It's Josh Allen, who might be able to go to Pagula and convince him to fire him. But I don't see that happening, and I don't see Sean McDermott getting fired. Not this offseason. I know a lot of you don't like that. Uh, Michael Labar said, McDermott is the reason nobody's having fun. I can't imagine even something as simple as a day in the park would be enjoyable with him in charge. Couple that with the fact they've never really won anything of substance, and you've got to wonder why stay the course. I don't disagree with you. I don't think some players are having a lot of fun with Sean McDermott. I think there's some players and some coaches, current and former, who are not big fans of working with Sean McDermott. I'm not saying they don't like Sean McDermott. I'm saying I don't think they like working alongside Sean McDermott. But again, Stay in the course. I still think that this is an owner, a hands-off owner, who's just not going to fire his coach after one bad season, after the success that they've had over the last uh, four seasons. Allentown, 1711. Sean has crushed Josh's spirit. Happiest I've seen him this year was seeing Dable on the field and walking out of the stadium with him. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, by the way. Josh did light up when he saw Brian Gable with the Giants and then walking off the field with him after that nail biter of an ending. Those two guys loved each other. And uh, yeah, Josh's spirit's clearly crushed right now at times. You see it. I mean, you saw it going all the way back to week one against the Jets, the sulking on the bench. He's done that a lot this year when he's made mistakes. He just seems tight. Something just seems off with him. I'm not going to get into this, you know, I'm not going to deep dive into Josh Allen's emotions. It's too late in this podcast to do that. But you all see what I'm seeing. I mean, there's not much to explain. His uh, his spirits need to be up, and that might make him a better quarterback on the field too. Mike Monahan said, consideration needs to be made to cut Sam Martin. I'll tell you what, I agree with you 100%. The Bills specials teams has been shitty this year. I don't have numbers in front of me, but I know I found myself yelling, like, why are you punting to Marvin Mims? I know in that Jets overtime game, it was a punt return that set up the winning score for, or actually wasn't set up the winning score. They won the game, I believe, in overtime on a punt return. Coverage has been bad. Sam Martin has not punted well. 
He has um, hit a lot of low punts, not to areas of the field where they shouldn't be. And you could tell by the way the coverages were set up. So sure, consideration. He also is the holder for Tyler Bass. I don't know. Put it this way. If I was Sam Martin, I wouldn't make plans to be in Buffalo beyond the season. He might survive the season, uh, but that's it. One more here. Frank Shepard. Steph, well, Stefan Diggs is frustrated because he doesn't think the coaches or other players are taking his winnow to win as seriously. The reality is we need more like Steph. With that passion and focus and work ethic, dude wants it so bad, it keeps him up at night. Look, again, I'm at the end of this podcast here, so I'm not going to get into a long discussion about Stefan. You're referring to, and a lot of people have seen or heard it by now, uh, the press conference earlier this week where Stefan was asked about shit that his brother was talking about, getting him out from Dallas, get him up out of Buffalo. And Stefan, I don't want to say he was combative. He wasn't combative with the media. He was, he's frustrated. He's frustrated in part because he keeps getting asked the same shit over and over again about if he's happy or if he wants out. And all he said was, you need to talk to my brother. He's the one who said it. Stefan Diggs is the best receiver who's ever played for the Buffalo Bills. Period. Period. He's the best receiver. He's been the most productive receiver. He cares. He is passionate. He wants to win so bad it hurts, just like Frank said in his comments. And it's like, this is the example of when they say people in Buffalo, I guess, around the league fans for every team probably have these situations, but this is why you can't have nice things. It should be 100% in unison. I want Stefan Diggs here for his entire career. And I see not many, but a smattering of fucking idiots on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, etc., that want this guy gone. Oh, we don't need him. We don't need his attitude. Next man up. Oh, this and that. You fucking nuts. This guy is unbelievable. He's the best receiver that this team's ever had. And he wants to win. He said he wants to be here. How many times does he have to say the same thing? Just like he defended himself in this presser over the weekend. Holy shit. I can't believe there's actually any fans out there that would be fine with getting rid of Stefan Diggs. If you want your football team and your offense to be worse off, a lot worse off, sure, go ahead. Get rid of Stefan. Until Stefan Diggs, until you hear him say, not fucking Stephen A. Smith saying, I heard this or anything else. When Stefan Diggs tweets or comes out and says, I'd like to be traded, then your attitude could change. Until then, if you're thinking anything else except I want him here for years to come, you are a dork. You're a dork, period, end of story. I don't think I've gotten through a podcast this entire week without getting fired up talking about uh, the Buffalo Bills. But anyway, that is going to do it. Game on Sunday. I'll have Tone Pucks with me post-game. Uh, it'll be Monday's audio episode, of course. I think we're going to go live on the video side Sunday night, maybe a half hour or so after the game as well. But anyway, that'll do it for this one. Thank you very much for watching, for listening. Hopefully the total will be much better next week. Talk to you guys later.